This is not your century. This is Not Your Century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. January 15th, 1919. From 12.30 on that Wednesday afternoon until, oh, the 1950s, the north end of Boston would smell sweet. A storage tank, 50 feet tall, 90 feet in diameter, exploded at 12.30 in the afternoon. It was filled with molasses. More than 2 million gallons of it. Some people described a roar like a freight train. Others said it sounded like thunder. Some veterans of the Great War, which had just ended, said they heard something like machine gun fire. Those were the rivets popping. Molasses is the byproduct of turning sugarcane into sugar. At room temperature, it's a little thicker than honey. Imagine a wave of it, 15 feet high, roaring through the streets at 35 miles an hour. I've been trying to imagine that since I first read about the great Boston molasses flood when I was in high school. It's been about 40 years. I still haven't been able to get my brain to make a picture of it. But that's what you'd have seen if you were in the North End that day. The tank itself, blown apart, crashing through buildings and damaging the nearby elevated railway line. The molasses was runnier than normal because it had been heated up the day before so it could be loaded from a ship into the tank. Easier to move it that way. So at first it moved fast, overtaking people and horses and dogs and anything else in its path. But it cooled pretty quickly in the 40-degree air, and it got thicker. It's almost impossible to move when you're immersed in molasses. A truck was blown through a fence and out into the inner harbor. People walking on the sidewalks were overtaken, including kids on their way home from school for lunch. The initial death toll was reported as 11, with 50 injured. Those numbers rose over the next few days and weeks as more people were found under the molasses or in the wreckage of buildings, or even, in a few cases, their bodies came ashore. They'd been washed out to sea. The final death toll was 21, with about 150 injured. When the tank was finally empty, the north end was under two to three feet of molasses, And the cleanup was every bit as bad as you can imagine. Workers used fire hoses and salt water to blast the molasses into the harbor and into the Charles River, all of which turned brown and stayed that way for six months. But the problem wasn't limited to downtown. Victims and rescue workers and cleanup crews and curiosity seekers tracked the molasses all over Boston. Buses and streetcars distributed the molasses from people's boots out to the suburbs. If it was in Boston in 1919 and you touched it, your hand was probably sticky. So what caused it? About a half decade's worth of lawsuits sorted that out. One theory was sabotage. That one was floated by the company that owned the tank. This was an era when bombings by anarchists and Bolshevists weren't exactly unheard of, so it wasn't an outrageous idea. But it turns out the problem was good old-fashioned science, combined with good old-fashioned shoddy construction and corporate malfeasance. The tank had been built in 1915 by the Purity Distilling Company, which had cut various corners. The steel wasn't thick enough for the capacity. The rivets were bad, that sort of thing. And there was nobody with any architectural or engineering qualifications inspecting it. The tank had leaked right from the start. 
So did the company fix it? No, they painted it brown. Neighbors would go there and collect molasses from the leaks to use at home. The science was most likely fermentation, which produced carbon dioxide that raised the pressure inside the tank. There were rumors that purity distilling had strained the capacity of the tank because it was racing against the prohibition clock. The last state was about to ratify the 19th Amendment. In fact, the vote came the day after the disaster. So the idea would be to get as much rum bottled as possible in the year before prohibition took effect. The problem with that theory is that purity had sold out in 1917 to the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, which was in the business of making alcohol that wouldn't be affected by prohibition, like rubbing alcohol. The Great Boston Molasses Flood had long-term consequences. Beyond Boston's inner harbor being brown through the summer of 1919 and the North End smelling sweet for decades. The main lawsuit against United States industrial alcohol was the first class action lawsuit against a major company. And the disaster ushered in the modern era of building regulation. Stephen Puglio, author of the book Dark Tide, the Great Boston Molasses Flood of 1919, pointed out to the Guardian newspaper that the tank didn't even require a permit to build. That began to change after the molasses flood, first in Massachusetts and then across the country. Builders sometimes find these rules and regulations onerous. But not having giant storage tanks exploding? Well, that's pretty sweet. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your center.